I remember sitting in the talent show, like in the auditorium, and my group went on stage. Beans and them got on stage, and we all had T-shirts that said Crash Crew, and, you know, my squad was on stage performing, and I was like, I'm already suspended, so fuck it. So I just jumped on stage and did my performance, and, you know, to thunderous applause, you know, killed it, and the rest is sort of history. So once upon a time, I used to be a music critic for a grand total of about two months. And the very first CD, because we were doing that then, that landed on my desk was an album called Do You Want More? It was The Roots' second studio album, but it was my first time listening to The Roots. Now, I've been rocking with The Roots now for 25 years. Only person I know longer than The Roots is my mama, okay? So I am beside myself that Tariq, a.k.a. Black Thought, is my guest on today's episode of Jamel Hill is Unbothered. And I shall proceed to bring you the best interview of my life. So had you asked me before 1994 who was my favorite hip-hop group of all time, I probably would have said N.W.A. But then in 1994... That's when I fell in love with The Roots. And though at times, not going to lie, I've cheated on The Roots with OutKast. I remain a faithful, loyal fan of The Roots. They're number one to me. So for me, today is very special because I get to kick it with Black Thought, who is on my top five MCs list. Why? Because it's my top five. First, I'm going to start with a story to lead into what I assume is going to be a fabulous interview. I'm actually a little nervous, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm a little nervous. Like, we see each other all the time. I know we do, but, you know, it feels so formal because every time I see you... It it didn't feel formal until I put the headphones on. You know what I mean? Like, we were vibing, and then you put the the headphones on, and now I'm saying, like, oh, I have to be a reporter now. Yeah, wow. But it's it's just a little um, different because I'm actually formally interviewing you. And then on top of that, you are... Definitely one of my favorite MCs. And so the reason why I said I wanted to start with a story is because as much as people know me for sports, I spent a very brief period being a music critic. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this would have been 1995. And I was an intern at the Detroit Free Press. And they had a music uh, critic there, older white guy who, as you might imagine, wasn't that into hip hop. Right. So he told me you can have all the hip hop and all the R&B. You can review that. I'll take this other stuff. And for me, being 19 years old at the time, that was a pretty sweet deal. I was like, yes, I will take all the hip-hop and R&B. First CD that landed on my desk, Do You Want More? Oh, wow. Very first CD. Because wow. it was a bin of them that had just come in. The, the administrator in the office, uh, the administrative assistant, she put it down. And I was like, The Roots? Who is this group? I've never heard of this group. Uh-huh. So I listened, of course, to Do You Want More? And I was a fan for life. I, I was like, one listen that gave y'all five stars. Okay, that's <laughs> okay. what's up. That's what's up. <laughs> you know, and so that's how sort of my, my love affair with The Roots actually started in a professional capacity. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so I've been rocking with y'all ever since. And um you know, I feel like Roots fans are so much different than other hip-hop fans of other artists. I mean, I don't know if you get that sense, too. Like, your fans are, the Roots fans are much different, I think, than, say, a Nas fan or a Jay-Z fan. Like, a lot different. Yeah, yeah. I I, I sort of get that. I think um, 
it's a super broad, you know, range of types of people who sort of fall under the Roots fan umbrella. But yeah, the Roots fan, you know, they're diehard, like, you know, supporters in the way that people, you know, are diehard about their about their sports teams, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I mean, it's like a cult-like following. Yeah. And it's like the people that fuck with y'all fuck with y'all. Yeah, like, you know, like Grateful, like Deadheads or, you know what I'm saying? Like people, jam, uh, fill in the blank, like it, it, it's a bunch of jam bands that have a similar sort of fan base where you don't necessarily have to have put new music out to still sell out, you know, a larger venue because people just come in because, you know, they sort of know what they're going to get. Yeah, I, I remember um, some friends of mine, uh, they were new parents at the time. I mean, their their kids are a little older now. And I don't know how you guys came up. Uh, they're white couples. So I'll just throw that out there. Not that that, you know, but the people will understand the story in context. And so I was just talking. I, somehow the roots came up. And they were like, oh, yeah, from the children's show. Oh, from Yo Gabba Gabba. Yo Gabba Gabba. And I was yeah. like, wait, what? I had no idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, we know the roots from Yo Gabba Gabba. And yeah. I was like, either I'm really old or y'all really that out of touch. Like, then I go into this long diatribe about, like, nah, y'all don't understand they are banned. They came together. Like, I'm giving them the whole yeah. history of the roots. And so it's weird. Uh, to fast forward, that people know you guys as being the band on Fallon. Yeah, yeah, we mean certain things to certain people. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I guess you know the, you, you, the people say no, no one can be all things to all people, but I guess that's what we sort of uh, attempted to do over over time, without sort of compromising our you know integrity and what it is that we do or the quality of the music. And we've managed to sort of do so in that yeah, there's a demo of folks who know us because they have you know nursery school age children who love the songs that we have done on uh, on Yo Gabba Gabba and they know Quest Love from Sesame Street and stuff like that. And then there are people who, you know, only know us from uh, Late Night with Jimmy Fallon and The Tonight Show and, you know, stuff that we've done sort of, uh, you know, like that Middle America demo. And then there's people like you, you know, who have been ground ground floor level. The day ones. <laughs> yeah, day one, ride or dies. Um, but, you know, I mean, y'all all get the same thing. It's not like we do... You know, I've, I change change the lyrics up, or the music is compromised, or we do something different in order to appeal to all these different uh, sort of demographics. You know what I'm saying? Now, how do you um, feel about the fact that because of uh, you know having the, the the nightly Fallon gig, that people are sort of maybe in many respects just giving the roots their due? Because it, you guys have been, again, you've been consistent for a long time. Yeah. Does it feel odd when your popularity takes another turn and it feels like all of a sudden that people are sort of like, oh, hey, the Roots, they're really great. Like, well, they've been great. I mean, yeah, you know, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel odd. I mean, I just feel like um, that sort of comes along with the transition into primetime TV. You know, even going from late night, you know, to primetime to, uh, you know, I guess we initially came on at like 12.30 and now we come on a little after 11. That one hour shift in time slot made a huge difference. Just um, with, you know, it, 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 it sort of puts into perspective how much of America is sort of in the middle. You know what I mean? I feel like people on the East Coast and people on the West Coast have been familiar or more familiar with the roots, you know, throughout the years. But, um, 
yeah, just more recently, like folks who, again, might not necessarily have been into hip-hop like that or uh, who are more just into pop music or pop culture, um, you know, we might have been below, above or below their radar. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so how is that, how is that grind of doing you know, television or being on television five nights a week? I mean, it's 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 cool. You know, um, it's it's time consuming. It's it's it requires much effort if you if you want to do something else beyond that, which is you know that's the choice that we sort of make. Um, you know, you could just be content and chill, and you know, it's a it's it's a pretty good job. It's a cushy sort of gig. So if you ha- also have a family to balance it with, um, yeah, you know, I wouldn't be mad at just going to work to do the tonight show and then going home to your kids. You know what I'm saying? That's that's sort of enough. But um you know uh, some of us Quest Love, myself, um James, Kirk, you know, some of the members of the band, we just have uh, a sort of insatiable desire to to do more, just like brand wise and, and culture wise and, and uh with regards to, to our impact. I guess. So, um, yeah, that's when it gets tricky. So I'll be, you know, tired of shit because I go and do Fallon, but I'm doing something before I get there. And then I'm doing something, you know, usually going into the studio or writing or doing something when I leave. And just, you know, brand building and bridge building and a bunch of stuff that I that isn't necessary, that isn't necessary, you know, but um, that I feel I sort of have to do, you know. In terms of how you all approach you know, Fallon, I don't want this to, to have sort of a negative connotation. Well, but, no, not at all. Well, but what, what I imagine there was some compromises there of in terms of who the roots are um, and the foundation of the roots and, and what you guys represent to suddenly jumping into mainstream television. And I know you experienced it, obviously, before when you did Yo Gabba Gabba because you're talking about the audience yeah, as yeah. kids and parents. Yeah. But still the late night audience, NBC, like this is a much different vehicle. So were there concessions or compromises that you felt like you guys had to make? I mean, we've been blessed in that we haven't really had to compromise in that way. Um, There's definitely a totem pole and, you know, there's a a hierarchy, you know, a corporate hierarchy there, um, you know, because we don't just work for The Tonight Show or for NBC or... For Universal, you know, there's a whole flagpole to sort of fly shit up. That being said, you know, with regards to the Roots brand and what we do on stage and what I do and say and do in the studio, um, I've I've yet to, you know, like I haven't been sort of pressed to compromise any of that. Like I've still, I don't know, somehow by the grace of God, been able to say and do you know, just with everything that I normally would sort of say and do and be just as vocal and political and conscious, you know, as I otherwise would would have been if, if we weren't um, on TV. Now, you know, when you're on the show, I, you can't just say whatever, do whatever. Um, there's, you know, repercussions and all that sort of shit. But, um, you know, I, I don't feel like I, I'm, I'm in, in a box. You know what I'm saying? Do you have to be more cognizant about what you say away from the Tonight Show because I mean, of that relationship. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. I have to be more cognizant of what I say about the Tonight Show away from the Tonight Show. You know, I can't, I can't uh, Fallon bash. I mean, nor would you know. Do I have the desire to? You know what I mean? But you know, I'm not gonna like be like fuck that job. You know what I'm saying? One of the things uh, I've certainly noticed, and I don't know if it was if it was purposeful, on the show, uh, Fallon calls you Tariq. 
I mean, that's your name. Obviously, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. But he doesn't call you thought or black. like I, I, I very right. rarely hear you being called that on the on the Tonight Show. Is yeah. that purposeful? It's purposeful for me. Okay. You know, early early on, I decided to sort of have this, you know, this separation of church and state, so to speak. In that, you know, when I'm I'm in this comedy world, I'm doing this thing on the Tonight Show. It's it was like it represented a new beginning for me. Um, I had spent, you know, at that point, maybe 15, 20 years establishing the Black Thought brand and sort of what it meant to me and what it meant to my fans. So, yeah, I didn't want, you know, to be on stage as Black Thought. You know what I mean? I wanted to essentially show more vulnerability and, you know, let my guard down a little bit more. Because, I mean, even with, you know, in in a roots capacity, like when I'm black, though, when I'm on stage, um, sometimes the material is personal, um, and the connection with the audience is 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 intimate. But the rap game isn't isn't based on, or at least you know for a long time it hadn't been about uh, being vulnerable as an artist. So I don't know. Like I'm up there with uh, with you know very many layers. You know, of of the onion, sort of as as a defense. I have a light show. You know, strobes over here. Don't look at me. Got the hat pulled down, sunglasses, the beard. The you know, other musicians are elevated on risers at different heights, and it sort of you know takes the focus, the attention off of uh, off of me. You know, personally as an artist. I mean, just as a man, and um, and I become comfortable in that. So the beginning of late night, uh, you know, just using my my government name and all that, that was about, you know, stepping outside of of that comfort zone for me and, you know, just giving uh, a deeper insight into, you know, another side of who I am because I'm not always, you know, serious. I'm, you know, I'm funny too. And, you know, I'm multifaceted. I'm a renaissance man. So, yeah, you know, um, it was just from the beginning I decided to say, all right, just call me Tariq. And people ask me sometimes, how come Jimmy calls Quest Love, Quest Love, and he calls you Tariq and not Black Thought? I feel like, you know, like, what's up with that? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it's by choice. You know, Amir prefers to be referred to as Quest. But, um, you know, I feel like, you know, friends, family, people who, who, who know me, like, if you know me, you call me Tariq. You know what I'm saying? If I'm walking down the street and I hear somebody say, yo, thought, yo, Black Thought, I feel, I feel like I, it's safe to assume that you don't know me. You know what I mean? For some of us, and I'm speaking for myself here, it's kind of like when you found out your teacher had a first name. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It was like kind of weird. Like, oh, yeah. so your name is Pam? Okay. Yeah, like, yeah. Not Miss Johnson all the time. Yeah. And so as long as I've known you, it's impossible for me not to call you Thought. <laughs> I mean, I don't call you Black Thought. It's usually just Thought or whatever. And I say, like, yeah. I know your first name. Yeah. And everybody around you obviously calls you that. But maybe it's just because as somebody who has listened for a long time, it's, it's, you know, I feel like, oh, my goodness, I know my teacher's first name and I don't, I don't know what to do with that information. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's weird, you know, but um, it, I don't know. It, it's, I've been able to sort of navigate, you know what I mean, for the past 10 years uh, being re- referred to as Tariq and Black Thought. Now, if I'm the musical guest or if I'm performing with the musical guest on The Tonight Show, nine times out of ten, It'll be, you know, featuring Black Thought or, you know, Black Thought with whoever. Um, because I'm in a different sort of, you know, I put a different hat on, like, you know, literally. <laughs> but, yeah, when I'm up there just saying, hey, 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 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm fine with just my, my government. Now, it, it, you just mentioned about, you know, you stepping out of your comfort zones. And one yeah. of the things that you did is you essentially did kind of a solo project with Ninth Wonder. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which was, which was dope. I love Ninth Wonder. Oh, and thanks. even though, you know, for years you've been sort of the, the front man, the, the, the front face that we've seen with The Roots, to see you solo was a different look. What went into the decision for you to decide to kind of do something to the side of Roots, which you don't often do? Um, you know, I've always had, you know, the desire to do stuff, you know, outside of the Roots umbrella. So really just outside of the Roots brand. And I, you know, over the years have done like lots of music that, you know, wasn't necessarily produced by one of the Roots. You know, I, some years ago I had announced uh, a forthcoming solo album that uh, I was well into sort of working on, and I decided to scrap it and um, use some of those ideas for the album that The Roots put out called Phrenology. It's because at the time, we needed a new Roots album, and that's what was going to sort of count towards us getting freed up off of you know our label. You know, So we owed them some records, and my Black Thought album wasn't going to count towards our debt so to speak so it was like I right. it's a no brainer I'm a, I'm a team player but um yeah I've always done outside features and just sort of had different things going on so um the decision to start uh this series cuz it's, it's a series of EPs that I decided to do really as a follow up to that um Hot 97 freestyle a, a little while ago um, I said I felt like it was just the perfect time to sort of to sort of drop um, streams of thought, which represented you know music recorded in a different process than the way I work in a roots capacity, like streams of thought, which is uh, volume one was produced by Ninth Wonder, and volume two was produced by Salam Remy. It's more uh, you know stream of consciousness, um, less overworked, less you know. It, the the process is is a lot more um, instant gratification almost in that you know I link up with one producer or you know one production team and we work and you know we put out the the results. Whereas with the roots, um, you know, there's very much uh, it's like more of a painstaking process. You know what I mean? It's a, it's uh, there's a whole council who gets to approve or you know disapprove of, of the music and the lyrics and the features and just more sort of input goes into it. So um, Streams of Thought was about putting out something uh, where only the producer that I was working with and myself sort of had the say. And we could do it, um, you know, with the Ninth Wonder stuff, the Salam Remy. The Salam Remy album was recorded in about, you know, I want to say, like, it was recorded in about a week, but over two two visits. Like, I came to his place in Miami over two weekends, and we had most of the material that we put out, you know. So um, that's sort of what it's about. And, you know, Volume 3 is coming out uh, relatively soon. Um, the holdup for me, like, I recorded a bunch of material during that same time, and it's been about just... Uh, finding the op the op the opportune time to sort of put it out and the um you know like selecting of of emerging or um or or established uh 
African-American visual artist or photographer um, with whom I feel aligned, like, for the for the, the visual that sort of is, is going to accompany the music, like, for that artwork. So the first record, uh, um, the Ninth Wonder one, uh, we partnered up with uh, uh, Rashid Johnson, and the second one was uh, Leslie Hewitt. And, um, yeah, Volume 3 is coming out re- really soon. But I got you know, quite a few volumes done. Mm. Looking back, the decision uh, to put the music that would have been on your solo album in the phrenology, do you regret that? Um, you know, sometimes I do regret it because you know, in retrospect, like for the die, the day one Roots fans, they feel like, um, you know, when I have a heart to heart with like someone who has all the Roots albums, they always uh, make mention of a feeling of disconnect with the album phrenology. They're like, oh, you know, I wasn't really up on phrenology like that. Or, you know, and I just feel like it, it makes it makes perfect sense, you know, for someone who has the roots in their bones like that. Because a lot of those songs, you know, maybe three quarters of phrenology began as music that wasn't intended, you know, to be roots music. And we took it and, you know, flipped it and freaked it and built an album sort of around it. But it wasn't, um, you know, like a Roots foundation, you know what I mean? Yeah. One thing I I noticed about you and and the group in general, you guys are really good at sharing the stage. As everybody knows, you have Roots and Friends. Mm -hmm. One of the best concerts I've ever been to was the... Roots and Friends show that you guys did at the BET Experience a couple years ago with Method Man, Red Man. Oh, yeah. D- dude, and what you did on on the, on Red Man's, um, God, I'm blanking on the song. I know the song. You killed his own song. Uh, and he didn't even want to take the mic after <laughs> you. I'll think about what that what what the name of that that track was because I, I can hear the dun it dun it dun it dun it. Oh, um, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, the name well, of it is. Uh, just, yeah, you really want to want to Yeah. What is the name? I'll, of I'll think of the name of that song. Yeah. But nevertheless, you guys are good at at sharing the stage. I know a lot of musicians and artists, they they're not that comfortable with it because they fear that the person may show them up or there's some competition there. Yeah. Why have you guys always made the roots experience an inclusive one with other artists? Um, I feel like, you know, that's that's what's most engaging and inspiring for me. You know, um, that's what the Roots brand has sort of been built on. You know, we've always, you know, had jam sessions and we've always, you know, rocked out with different artists and musicians. Um, Earlier on, you know, before we were as established, it was about other people inviting us, you know, um, to the stage and giving us a platform. So, um as as we evolved, it sort of turned into us providing the same platform for other artists, and and not necessarily a platform because you know not all the people that we sort of work with and collaborate with are still emerging. But it's just a different sort of outlet when you know uh, the context is collaboration. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, I mean that's been just super important for us and huge uh, to maintain. Yeah, one of the your special collaborations has been with uh, comedian Dave Chappelle. Oh yeah, yeah. Who, uh, how did that relationship develop? You know, um, Dave, we met through like Dave was really good friends with uh, Talib Kweli, um, and through Kweli, he became really good friends with Kanye West, and you know, we just had lots of the same sort of uh, running circle at one point in time. 
And um, he would show up at a lot of our gigs. He would just pop up, you know, like if we came anywhere near Ohio or, you know, during his downtime or any place near where he happened to be playing, um, you know, a comedy club, he would do his show and then come to ours or he would come to our show and then bring us to his. And, you know, we just developed um, a, a rapport um, or, organically in that way. Like, we, you know, he's a comedian, we're musicians, but we're both uh, we're all artists and, and, and thinking people and, um, you know, sort of cut from the same cloth and have, uh, we share a lot of the same views and opinions, you know. And now, um, of course, one of the other legendary Roots collaborations is with Erica Badu. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. so how did you guys um, uh, get together for Things Fall Apart? Um, you know, again, Erica was someone who, at, it was a point in time, we were working at Battery Studios a lot. Um, you know, we knew Erica through uh, um, through uh, D'Angelo. There was a record executive who had a, a couple other artists and also was working with Erica, who, uh, you know, we would interact with often. Um, Jay Dilla, um, Q-Tip, uh, Busta Rhymes. These were all people who I would see uh, at Battery Studios uh, just in passing. So Erica, you know, um, she was someone who was a Roots fan and, you know, a, a, a friend who just sort of started rocking out with us. Um, someone who, I don't know, like just the homie that I might say, oh, wow, it'd be dope if you did a chorus on this thing or whatever. And then, yeah, I found out she was working, you know, ready to work on her music. And she started working on her um, initial album, yeah, I just knew, you know, sort of from the onset that it was going to be something special because she was always, uh, you know, just a unique and special sort of talent. Um, even, you know, before she was Erica Badu, you know what <laughs> I mean? Um, she was always Erica Badu. When you guys cut, um, you know, You Got Me Together, did you know what that would become? You know, I knew what You Got Me was going to be when I heard the first time I heard it, I heard just the the music um, from Scott Storch and and Jill Scott. They had been you know vibing at Sigma Sound in Philly in this little room that Scott you know was leasing at the time. And um, they came down to the studio where I was working and said, "Yo, you got to come up and check this shit out." And I came up and I just knew like in an instant, wow, like this is you know this is sort of the one. And um, just started writing to it immediately. And, um, yeah, for me, You Got Me was, it was a no-brainer, you know? Um, it was just like the planets and the stars were in perfect alignment. The worst case of, of FOMO I think I've ever had is where I think it was last year at the Essence Fest, it was you, Jill, and Erica on the stage together. Oh, yeah. I, I can't tell because I got invited to Essence Fest. I've never been. I'm going this <laughs> year. And uh, I just, my schedule was just out of control. And it's like, I can't make it. And when I saw the video from that, I was just like, man, I'm lucky I'm not on, on any tall, near any tall buildings right now. <laughs> because that is my dream is to see all of you guys, you know, together yeah. on stage. And especially, you know, the Roots and, and, and Jill Scott, um, another person I've been rocking with since day one. Uh, what was that moment like to have? Because, it, it, I mean, I don't know the last time you guys have been on stage necessarily together in that capacity. Um, I mean, off top, there's a few times that I can remember, but it was really special, you know, at Essence. Um, you know, it, in Dave Chappelle's uh, block party, you know, we did the song together, the three of us. Um, I, I can remember um, 
once at Bowery Ballroom. Like, we did a small show, and it was the three of us. Um, we did something like a VH1 Divas tribute oh, yeah. or something. I do remember that. And it was the three of us. But it's always, um, it always takes the, the song up, you know, uh, uh, to a, a special level with Jill, who who wrote that material, and Erica, who made it famous. You know what I mean? Um you know, so just to to share the stage with both of them doing that joint, that song is so special to us all. Um, I feel like the only missing element would be, you know, Scott Storch. Like if Scott was there playing it and Jill and Erica were singing it and I was doing, you know, my, my rhymes on the record, our heads would probably explode. And now, um, did you know Jill before she was Jill? Yeah, yeah, yeah Because I know you guys obviously yeah. both from Philly. Yeah. Like how did you guys... Um, kind of get connected. Um, I know Jill from, uh, you know, she was a spoken word artist who would come around and do, you know, poetry that was always, you know, super intriguing and, you know, would always sort of hold your attention um, just because she's always been a performer and she's always had that poise even before I, I knew her as a singer, just to hear her speak and to watch her perform and, you know, like the way she sort of moves her hands and just you know, uh, uh, anchors herself on stage. She's always had that presence because I, I, from what I understand, she came from a, a musical theater background. So there was that. And then I knew her um, from Jazzy Jeff's camp and from, you know, Jazzy Jeff's studio, which in turn, uh, you know, she had worked a lot with James Poyser, who we also worked with at the time. And I just knew she um, was a wordsmith and a brilliant, uh, you know, songwriter. Um, so, you, you know, she, it was, again, just uh, an organic sort of relationship, you know what I mean, brother-sisterly. And uh, you know, when I was looking for uh, new material, um, I would go to my family, like, yo, you know, like, what you got? You know, so, yeah, Jill and, and Scott, like, the, that collaboration, um, it brought forth you know, some classics. Now, um, it, it seems like the Philly tribe is, is pretty tight. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, it, in terms of, like, jazzy... Jesse Jeff, Jill, you guys, you know, Will Smith, obviously, he's another person from Philly. Mm-hmm. Um, what about that that unit, that group of artists that are from there, that where you all seem like family? What a, Why has that relationship been able to be so family-like and not really competitive-like, even though with you, with you guys all coming from the same place and kind of going after some of the same things? I think it's it was the era, you know, the era from which we, we came. It was... Um, you know, we had to sort of do for self. And we were, you know, the city and the the artistic community in Philly at the time, we were sort of all we had. So we it was about making something out of out of nothing where, you know, there were no labels and there were no venues and there were no, you know, residencies and, you know, no one was coming to check for, you know, the new artists from Philly. Um, so, yeah, we had to sort of create that. And uh, we needed one another for support. So... Um, yeah, that's I, I guess that's where that bond sort of came from. You feel like, or how much credit does the the roots deserve in terms of putting Philly on the map in that way? And again, all I of know, it. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's right. Tired of being humble. Nah, nah. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, very many people have sort of come through these uh, these hallowed halls, so to speak. Um, and you know, the roots, or either. Now, either members of the Roots or people who are directly related to the Roots um, have been responsible for you know very much of of uh, uh, you know the the scene that that was a result. Well, we're gonna put a a pin in this part of the conversation because 
I want to ask you some more about the roots of the root, as in how you and Questlove, you guys got together in okay. high school. Yeah. Um, definitely want to ask about your relationship. And there's no way that I can have, in my mind, one of the top five MCs uh, of all time on this podcast and not ask you who your top five MCs are. Because I love this conversation, the top fives. I'm sure MCs hate it, <laughs> right? Yeah. But uh, fans always get into it. So I'm going to ask you your top five and some other stuff uh, when we come back after the break. Okay. All right, we're back with a great conversation with Tariq, a.k.a. Black Thought. <laughs> if you see him on the street, he already gave you sort of the insight. Don't call him Black Thought. Well, you can call him Black Thought. Yeah, you weren't I mean, saying that. If you don't know me, don't call me Tariq. Like, <laughs> <You're right. yeah. laughs> Strangers all of a sudden now have to listen yeah. to that. They're going to be like, hey, Tariq. You're like, I don't, do I know you? Like, <laughs> Well, there's lots of people who only know me from The Tonight Show who also call me Tariq. Like, there's lots of people who, you know. I can tell, like, if I hear someone like, hey, Tariq, I'm like, this person. Don't <laughs> they know don't know this, me. Yeah, they know me. For yeah, because you meet a lot of folks. So yeah. the song we were thinking of was The Goodness yeah. by Redman. That yeah. was the song that uh, Thought tore up at the BET experience with Method Man and Redman on stage. And as I mentioned before, tore it up, uh, broke it down so bad that Method Man actually said that he didn't want to take the mic, uh. um, you know, after you or whatever. But... You know, you guys have, like, collaborated with so many different people. Is there somebody or a group? Because uh, John Legend, the album you guys did with John Legend, I should have also mentioned that one. That was, like, I can't write left-handed. I love that song. Oh, yeah. um, in addition to, like, just the, the whole album itself. But is there anybody that you have not collaborated with that you would love to collaborate with? I plan to collaborate soon with uh, Toby from The SWAT. I plan to collaborate... You know, with Kendrick Lamar at some point. Okay. Is that something that, look, don't get everybody too excited. Is that something already in the works or? Um, not, not a Kendrick one is, is not in the works. Toby is in the works. He's okay. one of my favorite uh, new artists, you know, the past year or so. I definitely want to do a joint with Andre 3000. Um, and, you know, that's, we've gone back and forth and talked about it and emailed back and forth. But, you know, it's yet to sort of come to fruition. I would love to see that. You and pretty much this entire nation would love to see you and yeah. you and Three Stacks on You know, it. I wouldn't mind like a joint with like me, Andre, and Nas or something. You, know? you just trying to blow the internet up. I'm just saying like this is, you know, the hard wants with the hard wants. You know, I collaborated recently with uh, on a Freddie, a Freddie Gibbs album. Uh, there's a song with me, Most Deaf, and Gibbs. And the album is all produced by Madlib. But I wouldn't mind doing... An original joint, you know, an original collaboration with Madlib. I, I, I've been asking myself for a long time, how come he and I have never, you know, done something sort of from from the muscle. But that's a pretty, you know, impressive <laughs> list right there. Um, the Freddie Gibbs joint, because uh, uh, I was definitely going to ask you about that. What was that collaboration, that experience like? Oh, I mean, you know, again, yeah, I don't, I don't force, you know, fake sort of, you know, link-ups. It's like people that I already have a rapport with who I have a certain level of... Uh, the respect has to be mutual, you know, and um, I have to have rock with you. Like, me and Gibbs, we shared the stage a few times just um, through, uh, you know, f 
friends we have in common out on the West Coast, Strong Arm Steady and Cron Don and, you know, Phil the Agony, all those dudes. Um, they've had events where, you know, Gibbs and I have both been performers. Um, I think one time me, Freddie Gibbs, and David Banner did some stuff out in L.A. And, you know, since then, we've uh, always just talked about working together. And I've heard him make mention of me as one of his favorite artists, um, you know, like from sort of my graduating class. And he's, you know, one of my favorite artists from his, you know, meaning, um, you know, of the people who sort of came after, you know, the roots. So, um, yeah, he's just a real dude that, uh, you know, when I first got on social media, I reached out to a couple people. I reached out to Nipsey Hussle. I reached out to Freddie Gibbs. And I was just like, you know, let's work. And I said it publicly, you know, just to sort of get the people excited about it. And, um, yeah, me and Gibbs wound up, you know, just following through with it uh, the fastest. So we did a couple joints, you know. We did um, a couple songs that have already come out. And most recently, we collaborated on this new album uh, that he's about to drop with uh, with uh, Mad Lib called Bandana. Now you just brought up Nipsey Hussle. So did you reached out with him, reached out to him, trying to work with him. Or? Yeah, I reached out to Nipsey, mm-hmm. just like you know, a cold call, like you know, a, a cold uh, tweet or whatever. And you know, he hit me back. Um, he said he was a huge fan. We got on the phone, you know what I mean, started talking about the possibilities and you know, what that would look like. Should it be a live band? Should it be this? Should it be that? And um, it just never came to be, you know. I went out to L.A. and we just never clicked up for whatever reason. But, um, yeah, Nipsey was a huge fan. Again, someone else that uh, there was a mutual respect. Um, he was just supposed to come and perform at our Grammys Jam um, in February and got sidetracked in some way. And, you know, it's just the things that we take for granted that, oh, I'll catch you next time. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was going to say now you probably, given everything that happened, you know, with him, with his uh, untimely and unfortunate passing, you probably look at that maybe with a little more perspective, Absolutely. a little differently. Absolutely. Yeah, it was, a, you know, it was a missed opportunity. Um, you know, but I feel like things, you know, often ha- happen as they should, you know what I'm saying? And, um, yeah, it just, it, it might not have been meant to be at, like, at, at that moment in time. Speaking of, uh, destined meetings, so you and Questlove, uh, met in high school, is yeah. that correct? Yeah. So how did you guys, uh, link up and, and get cool? What brought you together? We kind of bonded over, uh, okay, how can I, like truncate this story well we went to high school in philly the school of the arts which is equivalent to like a LaGuardia or like you know the fame high school here um where i was a visual arts major and he was uh, an instrumental major um at the time he was uh you know we we went to school with amel larue and boys to men christian mcbride and uh, uh Joey DeFrancesco and Fatin from Kindred and the list goes on and on. Just so That's many. That's a hell of a high school. So, so many brilliant musicians. <laughs> and those are just the the music majors. And, you know, just every realm of the arts was sort of represented by, you know, someone who was going to go on to, you know, be somebody, so to speak. And I was a visual arts major who just being around so much music, it really just made me sort of make my mind up to change you know, to essentially change my major. And I unofficially did so in that I would go and sit in on, you know, instrumental classes and vocal classes that weren't on my roster. I had a side hustle in school being a visual artist. I did, like, hand-painted jackets and jeans and uh, handmade medallions and stuff like that, and, you know, I would sell those. 
Um, one day I was coming back from a suspension for something. Uh, you know, I can't remember why I was suspended, but I've been suspended. I was in the office, and uh, Quest walked into the principal's office, and he had on like a jean jacket that was hand painted with some crazy artwork on the back, and he had a a medallion like with the a black fist on it and I was just looking to do like who is this with some shit that you know somebody is 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 moving in on my hustle like where'd you get this jacket and this medallion from and that sort of sparked the conversation and from there um I found out that it was something that had been passed down to him in his family like from his parents who used to have a band that was almost in the vein of Sly and the Family Stone um that was called Congress Alley and um you know, it was just super intriguing for me to to interact with someone who grew up in a musical family like that. Like, I always call this family the Black Partridge family, you know. So, um, yeah, we just had two different, like, I don't know, like, like I, I was from the polar opposite extreme, you know, musically uh, from where, from Quest. And we just came together in sharing um that eat one another's perspective, you know what I mean? Like I put him on to NWA and Public Enemy and Ultra Magnetic MCs, and he put me on to you know James Brown and Miles Davis and you know so on and so forth, like jazz and blues and soul and you know lots of the music that the music I was into, uh, he put me on to sort of where it had come from, mm. and you know uh, explain how sampling worked and that whole sort of thing. So we, it was again, it was it just felt like. It was supposed to be, so we started working together. Yo, I've been rapping at that point for probably nine nine years or so. I guess I started rapping when I was nine. So yeah, I've been rapping for you know quite some time, and I'd never been in an official group. So um, I said, you know, we should we should team up. You know what I mean? He's the drummer. I'm the I'm the rapper, sort of thing. Was this something you just saw as a hobby, or did you like when did you start to realize this is something that you wanted to make a career of? Well, I always, you know, enjoy being on stage. The first talent, like talent show that I can recall doing, was uh, in third grade, and um, we sang a DeBarge song. And I mean, it was Wait, I. You, you actually sang? Or yeah, you? yeah. Okay. We, we sang. I think like all this love. Because that would be yeah. the DeBarge song you were singing. Yeah, yeah. So we sang that, and it was cool. People were into it, but I didn't get the response that I wanted. You know, I wanted people to lose their shit. So, you know, I sort of went home with my tail between my legs and, you know, devised a plan to come back the following year for the talent show um, in rap. And, um, yeah, I, by that time I was rapping, I was writing rhymes, um, I put together like a crew. I had um, some dudes doing graffiti on stage and some break dancers and a human beatbox and two other rappers. One rapper was my homie uh, Walik and the other rapper was Beanie Siegel. And we were all, you know, third and fourth graders, and this was like, you know, some for a lot of a lot of the guys, it was their first time on stage. But for me, it was like it was my second show, and it was like my comeback performance. And I remember I got suspended again. I got suspended from Dude, school. Dude, what's up with you in the suspension? Man, I got suspended mad times in school. So <laughs> I was suspended. Um, I think the day of the talent show. And they like there was no one to come and pick me up or something, so they wanted me to wait the day out. And then just go home and just don't come back. So I remember sitting in the uh, in the talent show, like in the auditorium, and my group went on stage. Beans and them got on stage, and we all had T-shirts that said Crash Crew and 
you know, my squad was on stage performing, and I was like, I'm already suspended, so fuck it. So I just jumped on stage and did my performance, and, you know, to thunderous applause, you know, killed it, and the rest is sort of history. Did you win? Um, I don't even know that it was a contest. Okay, I think it, it was, was just like, yeah, yeah, like a show. <laughs> I, I, I've read that you said this before, and, you know, I'd like for you to sort of elaborate, obviously, but you said that music and even your meeting uh, with Quest um, saved you. In yeah, many respects. Yeah, and yeah. what did you mean by that? Um, well, you know, I'm always the first to say that the arts and, and arts education is what saved me. Um, you know, visual arts, you know, sort of took me to where I made that decision to become a musician. And just being exposed to theater, creative writing, you know, photography, movement, um, I feel like that all just had an impact on my perspective, the way I sort of saw the world and um, the way I sort of processed the world beyond the block. You know, um, I was uh, I lost my both my parents at a relatively young age when I was about two years old or right before I turned two. My father was uh, murdered and then my mom was murdered uh, when I was like 16. So um, I think, you know, the, the growing up like the visual art, painting, drawing, the music, that was sort of all I had. And the, those were the only glimpses that I had of um, a better way, a different way. You know, what the possibilities could sort of be outside of, of the bubble in which I live. Because I lived, you know, I'm from South Philly in, you know, Crack Rock 80s. Like in 1984, 85, Crack was popping. You know, lots of people who I had known who were 13 and 14 years old who had nothing, you know, in a matter of weeks were driving BMWs, you know, with fat gold chains and carrying Uzis and stuff. And um, just the life expectancy, you know, people was like, would time out by, I don't know, like 25. So I remember, you know, having conversations all the time where we would ask one another, like, yo, like, what do you think you, like, what you want to be when you grow, like, if you grow up? You know what I mean? When you, it was not just, a win, but it, yeah, it was yeah, an yeah, like yeah. we weren't certain because I was hard pressed to think like I couldn't really name anybody that I knew. I mean, I knew like my grandparents and stuff like that, but I couldn't name anybody that I knew when they were young who made it to 30. So that, you know, that wasn't even an idea that many of us entertained. Like, oh, OK, yeah, when I'm, by the time I'm 30 or 40, I'll be doing this. It was like I don't I don't I can't see myself at that age because, you know, I, there was no example. You know what I mean? So I feel like the arts um, and like the, the saving grace of the arts and the transformative power of the arts is what, uh, you know, just like made me able to sort of see uh, a different path to take. Now, the the natural order of things, as we know, is that, yes, we are supposed to bury our parents, but not at 2 and 16. Yeah. You know, obviously. Yeah. And especially the way in which your parents died. Mm -hmm. How much of an impact did that kind of have on how you saw the world at that age or even how you see it now you know at the time we sort of well I mean I sort of shrugged it off and you know just took it in stride and I think it was a long time before I even well I was too young to you know really be emotional when I lost my father I just grew up sort of knowing that I had lost him and then when I lost my mom it took a long pretty it took a while for me to show any emotion you know, and I feel like um, we often internalize loss in that way, um, especially in the black community, especially as, as young black men. You know what I mean? Because life sort of goes on. And, and, you know, so, yeah, I think I shrugged it off at the time. But in retrospect, 
you know, I'm I, I'm pretty sure I suffer from I'm pretty sure I suffer from a bunch of shit, but uh, one of those conditions being post traumatic stress disorder, which you know I now as an adult understand, you know, uh, what causes that is sort of what you know what I lived and what you know, lots of people where I come from are still living today. You know, it's not natural to lose your parents at such a young age and to be ducking, you know, from gunfire and to you know to have so many friends who die. Um, in a short period of time and, you know, to leave home not sure whether or not you're going to make it home. You know what I mean? But when when you're in it and when you're, you know, when that's all you know, it's, it's sort of all you know. So it is, it, it, it becomes uh, your normalcy, you know what I mean? But, um, yeah, that's not, you know, how life is sort of supposed to be. What well, now how does this influence how you raise your own children? Um, you know, my, my kids are spoiled. I feel, you know what I'm saying? Does that trip you out sometimes? It does. It yeah. trips me out because I, I, I also want to give them a little taste of, you know, just what it was like for me. You know what I mean? I want them to have to work for what they sort of get. And I want them to just to understand how blessed they are to, you know, to always be provided for and to, you know, always be safe. You know what I mean? The things that we sort of... um you know, that they, I feel like they take for granted, but that you know we couldn't take for granted when I was a young person. You know, uh, I had this conversation with with Charlemagne a while ago, and he was saying that he has, you know, just in conversation with his kids, they'll find out stuff about him, like, "Oh, you been to jail?" Like, no, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if you've ever been to jail necessarily, but I've, I've been to jail. So, are these things about how you grew up that you share with your own kids, and and how do you balance what you share? about the life you used to lead? Um, it's, it's, there's no filter, like, with me, especially with my older kids, you know. Like, my oldest son is 19, so there's absolutely no, you know, no filter. Like, you know, by the time I was his age, I was in the, like, we were the roots. I was, you know, on the road and stuff. So I try to keep it a buck. But, like, my youngest son is three. My daughter, my only daughter is 13. And, yeah, it's not like I just sit it all out there like uh, here's my, you know, here's the world history sort of sort of deal. But if there's anything they ever ask me, yeah, I try to explain it in as uh, as understandable a, a manner as possible. It's like, yeah, you know, uh, I've been arrested. You know what I mean? Like, well, what did you get arrested? I did um, Snap Judgment on NPR um, a few years back where I told the story of one instance, you know, where I wound up getting arrested, you know, during— you know, my adult life while I was doing fouling and all that. I was arrested at the at JFK airport. And um, you know, it's a funny story now. So but yeah, my kids hear it and, and they're like, Wait, you, you like is that is this true? I'm like, Yeah, you know, yeah, I got arrested and it's like, you know, why did you get arrested? In short, I was arrested for what they called an open warrant, but that wasn't open. And that warrant was about Something that happened when I was 18 years old. You they know. still had the warrant? Yeah, I was, I was walking in the street where there was a sidewalk provided in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, where I went, I went to college. One of the officers at Millersville University had taken issue with that. So that, you know, one thing led to another. I wound up getting charged with disorderly conduct, essentially for just walking in the street. We're familiar with this story. Right, yeah. which, you know. <laughs> Years later, I came back to perform after I, you know, was no longer a student there. We came back as the Roots to perform. And before we took the stage, both me and my partner, Malik B. at the time, were arrested because they said we had outstanding warrants. They arrested you? They arrested us. It was like we were, it was a Roots show. I remember it was the Roots and Mad Lion. 
And uh, it was like for homecoming or something, and they arrested us. So we had to settle up. We had to pay whatever outstanding fines were. Um, I think they wound up keeping my partner, and they, you know, once I paid my fines, they let me go. I did the show alone. I came back years later after that as a public speaker to speak to. I'm actually shocked you did that. I mean, you know, Wu Tang let the kids. <laughs> so I came back to speak to the kids, and, you know, and I got a check from the university and all. So there was no way. They I, that I would have come back without being arrested if you know there was anything still outstanding, and I knew that there wasn't. But for whatever reason, when I flew into JFK this day, their computer or whatever they had in front of them said otherwise, and I was arrested. And it was um I was coming I was on a high because I was coming from probably uh you know the most iconic moment in my career up to date at that point in Copenhagen, uh, Denmark. We had performed. Um, it was The Roots and Bruce Springsteen, and we did, like, this huge performance for hundreds of thousands of people at a festival that The Roots used to—we used to play in a tent that was, like, outside the perimeter of this festival. Like, you were there, but yeah, not, like, exactly. There. Like, we were there, but we couldn't get in to see who right. else was performing. And we sort of worked our way from that tent to the main stage, and we shared the stage with Springsteen. We did our set. We killed it so hard that it was one of those Method Man, Red Man moments where he was like, I'm not just going out there— like, you know, following y'all up. So he brought us back out to perform with him. And we did all of that shit. I came home. They ushered us in through the diplomatic entrance into the country. And, you know, I said peace to the rest of the roots. They went to the baggage claim. And then the uh, customs and immigration dude was like, yo, let me holler at you for a minute. And then I got locked up. You know, yeah. So um, it was, you know, it's valleys and peaks. So, I mean, I say all that to say the the what I, what I tell my kids is, you know, you just got to be careful of how you move in life and the decisions that you make even as a young person because a lot of that shit, you know, can and will possibly stick with you. And so you have to, you know, if it's something that's going to stick with with you, make sure it's something that you don't mind, you know, sort of f fighting for. You know what I mean? Like, don't let, you know, some bullshit happen when you're 16, 17, 18 years old that um, is going to sort of, you know, mark you for life. Now, how do you talk to your kids about race? Um, you know, I talk to them straight up about it, you know. Um, my kids... They go to a school that is becoming more diverse, but, you know, they interact with far more uh, people of other races than I did when I was their age. Yeah, I mean, I speak to them from a place of of uh, acceptance and and you know, sort of sensitivity and, and understanding, you know what I mean? Yeah, because in talking with, um, you know, people like yourself or just friends of mine that I have, that are living a life that is so in such contrast with how they grew up. When you have kids that you raise in an environment where they, as you said, they are well provided for, they're going to these schools where yeah. they're around a lot of diverse people. And in some cases, they're the only, right? Yeah, or yeah. among a few, that those racial conversations are a lot more complex. Because yeah. it's not only about the acceptance of others, it's also about how they can be proud of their own identity. A absolutely. Yeah, so I just wondered like how you as somebody who's kind of in that position how you balance that with your kids about you know i mean it's a yeah it's a delicate their blackness yeah essentially. It's, a, it's, it's a delicate balance you know what i mean but um you know yeah i've been just blessed enough uh thus far that there's been no crazy you know incidents that you know we couldn't deal with you know what i mean nothing has really taken place where one of my children has been, you know, violated or has violated, you know, uh, someone else's child. So, yeah, it's just 
just by the grace of God, I guess. Do any of your kids want to do what you do? Yeah, well, my, um, you know, one of my sons, one of my oldest sons uh, is in college for illustration right now. So I guess the visual arts, you know, bug sort of, you know, is is is, is in his genes. And then my oldest son um, is a musician. He's in, in college uh, studying the voice. So, but he's he he raps a little bit. He's more of a singer and he plays piano, but he also plays guitar a little bit. And um, yeah, he's in in school, you know, studying uh, opera. Wow! So, um, just, just to sort of master his craft. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think he you know fancies himself like a you know like a John Legend or something. <laughs> you know, he, he swear he's John Legend. He like he a pretty boy. And stuff. <laughs> now, how, what do you? Uh, how do you feel about that? About your kids I mean, potentially it, following I sort of your footsteps? I think it's dope. I mean, then also, I guess yeah. My daughter, my daughter's a singer, and she's been acting. She, you know, she does a lot of theater um, in the school, and then you know some public uh, theater groups that you know she's become a part of, and she enjoys it. My whole thing is, you can't force your kids to do any of that. You know what I'm saying? So if it's something that they're going to embrace naturally and take seriously, and you know, really dive all the way into the you know, the only, the best you can do is sort of just be supportive. And I don't try to you know impress upon them, or I don't try to impose upon them, you know, my how I feel about music and art or any of that. And uh, if you need, if you want any advice, you need any advice, you want to run lines, you need help with your music, you need, you know, anything, I'm sort of here for you. But um, I just try to be a supportive parent. Now, um, because I want to make sure that you know, we blow up your mentions and blow up your Instagram. I always think it's fun. Again, I think it's more fun for me and it's more fun for fans to ask um, MCs about who their top five is because I just like to see people argue about this. Okay. Because <laughs> they think it's just, you know, they take it so seriously. It's like it's a list. It's your list, right? This is Black Thought's list. Just, I just feel like I need to say that as a disclaimer because there will be thousands of people who will say, well, what about such and such? If such and such was on the list, they'd be on the list. Right, they ain't on right, the damn list. Right, right. So we're just going to say that up front. So excluding yourself, okay. and again, because you're in my top five, excluding yourself, who are your top five MCs? Okay, like my top five. See, when you say top five, it's like top five what? You know what I mean? Like top five. Oh, you one of them top five I mean, people? I yeah, I think it has to be super specific. <laughs> okay. So for me, my top five, like the top five MCs that have influenced me. Okay. In, in my craft. I'm going to let you get away with that one. Right. Yes. Go okay. ahead. That's, that's what I'm going to like let You're gonna you You're going to answer know. it that way. Yeah, so. Okay. My, the, uh, I'm like I if I were composed of five MCs, okay, those MCs. If you were Thanos collecting MC yes. Infinity Stones, yes, exactly. This is who would be yes, on your those hand. Infinity Stones would be Rakim, Cool G Rap, Big Daddy Kane, Chuck D, and KRS One. That's an awesome list. So that's that's my top five. Okay, who is the the rapper in 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 present day that's that's out there right now? You enjoy listening to the most. I enjoy Kendrick. I enjoy that kid Toby I was talking about. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I love and respect uh, Three Stacks, as I said, Nas. Um, I enjoy. I really enjoy it all, man. I love Devin the Dude. Like I love, you know, it's just it's a wide range of um, other influences. You know, what I mean, people that I sort of uh, am, am inspired by. Um, and it's oftentimes it's it's uh it's I'm inspired by their uniqueness, you know. So there's a bunch of different unique talent that's out there, and um I sort of embrace it all, you know what I mean. As long as I feel like uh 
you have a respect for the craft. You know what I mean? I'm not feeling rappers who, you know, don't respect, like, the art of, of rap. Yeah, I mean, that's the hard part for me with connecting to sort of this generation of, of hip-hop fans because I think streaming has just changed things so much. Yeah, yeah. Where I, it, it feels like, at least for me, on a regular basis, that there will be people who are insanely popular. And granted, I realize that nobody's really coming through the radio you know, route anymore yeah, where yeah. you have to have a hit song on radio, right. which is all good. Yeah. But because of streaming, there are people... The comparison I've made, uh, and I think I've made it on this podcast before, is it's like the NFL when all the rules change to favor the quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. So suddenly you're going to have quarterbacks who maybe don't deserve to be in certain conversations yeah, for yeah. best all time, who who will be in there just based off the number of passing yards that they've thrown yep. and you know some of the touchdowns. Because now getting 5,000 yards, for, throwing for 5,000 yards in a season for a quarterback ain't shit. Right. And so I feel like it's almost kind of the same in hip-hop where moving a lot of weight is not as hard because of the explosion of streaming. And yeah. so, therefore, you have some people who have these insane streaming numbers, and I will think, I've never heard of that dude. Or I will listen to him and say, that was some trash. And uh, so it just, it's sort of, in as much as I'm happy to see hip-hop kind of explode worldwide, it's the yeah. number one music genre in the world, there's also a part of me that, you know, that, that hip-hop fan that, came up on this in the mid late 80s early 90s as I mentioned my favorite era is probably the mid 90s of hip-hop that just can't let that go and refuses to let that go and and maybe I'm being too stubborn about embracing this generation of, of hip-hop artists. I mean we're, we're in agreement, you know and and you know like I, I sort of feel the same way about that whole quarterback analogy but um now more than ever there, you know, it's a lot of bullshit out there, but there's also a lot of good music too. You know yeah. what I mean? Because and I don't want to make it seem like yeah, our like, era didn't have bullshit because we had right. it too, right? <laughs> because the floodgates have been opened in that way. There, um, you know, like it, like anything goes for sort of everyone. So the same way that you know a trash artist could you know get popping off of like one song without having an album or having anything to sort of follow it up there are you know really dope artists too you know who are young people who you know just have that one joint it's it's just a, a broad a, a way more broad spectrum and it's more to sort of sort through and filter through right now um and sometimes it could be a daunting task and it could get you know exhausting um, but yeah, it's it's a lot of good music out there. Yeah, I mean, thank God for Kendrick and J Cole because they. I mean, even I feel like Kendrick and J Cole are established. They're not like emerging no, artists. No, they're not. Not even. You know, but like it's cats who you know you'll hear someone who is your first time hearing of that name or whatever, or you know, local artists, people who are you know, still making music in their bedrooms and basements who are really dope. You know, I mean, you just gotta you know find them, and um, you know they're out there. They're utilizing the same platforms and the same streaming services as. You know the, the the so-called trash artists, but like I said, it, it takes time to just really go through it all. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm just trying not to be like old woman yelling at cloud with it. I know, <laughs> you know what I, I know, mean? right? It, yeah. makes, it makes me feel like I'm not giving enough of it a chance, and I and I'm not even of the opinion hip hop has to be super serious. Yeah, you know? no, no, no. Like it, it can be fun. It can be light. I mean. God knows, as much as NWA is known for, you know, fuck the police, they made plenty of funny ass mm-hmm. just, you know, songs I can't even repeat now. That's why I can't, yeah, even, I know, right? I can't even, well, they I made, can uh, repeat yeah, it, well, but. No, I can't, can't say that one. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I can say it, but it's just, yeah. uh, uh, even, I, I've heard people 
you know, they'll be critical about some of the subject matter that people rap about today. I was like, yeah. look, the before Rihanna said it, there was a guy named AMG talking about bitch better have my money. Yeah, and it was yeah. one of my favorite songs. I know, I know. <laughs> to two live crew, like I all know. of the, like yeah. what? I was like, I'm all about frivolous, fun, um, you know, ridiculous hip hop. So it's not even about everything having to be super serious. It just after a while, some of it just starts to kind of sound the same. Yeah. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. But, um, yeah, we're going to wrap up this part of the interview portion of this. And when we come back, um, our final segment, for those that listen on a regular basis, you know what it is and you know what's coming. But for those who may be new to this, the last segment of every podcast of the Jamel Hill is Unbothered podcast is called Fuck It, I'm Bothered. And I'm bothered about something today that's just sitting so wrong in my spirit. And I can't wait to share with you uh, <laughs> more of that when we come back. So as mentioned, we close every episode of Jamel Hill is Unbothered with a segment called Fuck It, I'm Bothered. See, mm. Tariq, you get to say all the shit you bothered about because mm -hmm. you're a musician, <laughs> right? You got songs about shit that bothers you and and observations you make. Uh, I have to limit those mostly to this podcast. Um, you know, I still write by trade, but uh, some of what I call quick bitches I like to save mm. uh, for this. And so for me, this episode... Fuck it, I'm bothered by the Warwick Public Schools in Providence, Rhode Island. Oh, now, yeah. yeah, all right. Now, uh, this is the situation. This trifling ass school district will be giving students with unpaid lunch debts sunflower seeds and jelly sandwiches. Like, oh, come on. Right? While the students who do not have outstanding debts will be able to choose from a variety of hot meals. What kind of fuckery is that? But it gets worse. So the school district has about 9,000 students and about 1,700 of them have outstanding lunch debt. Why are we still charging kids for food? I don't know, but that's neither here nor there. Nearly 40% of the students, they qualify for free or reduced price lunch. What's even worse is that there's a restaurant owner in Rhode Island who offered to donate $4,000 to help offset these costs, but the school district turned down the money because they wanted the restaurant owner to create her own program to determine what children would qualify for the money. So basically they wanted her to do the fucking work. Mm. That's what it boils down to. And then they didn't want to do any additional work to get free money. Now they have about $77,000 in total that's owed from the students who have been unable to pay for their lunch. But I hope the Warwick Public Schools District is happy with themselves because congratulations, because you have effectively shamed these children for financial circumstances they can't even control. You've let them know that they aren't good enough and that they mean so little to you that they don't even deserve a healthy meal. Kids, if you're listening from that school district, you have my permission to toilet paper every fucking person <laughs> on that school district board. <laughs> toilet paper their house. Yeah, I said it. Because as somebody who grew up in these kind of circumstances, the poverty shaming that goes on in this country is really abhorrent. And to do this to kids who, again, don't have any control of their own circumstances to make them feel less than by showing them early on the disparities between the have and the have nots over fucking lunch. That shit is just atrocious and it blows my mind. So, again, Warwick Public Schools. So write your letters to them. 
they fucked up and they're making these kids, unfortunately, um, sort of have to absorb this level of shame over, over something they have nothing to be ashamed about. So that's what I'm bothered about. Um, thankfully, Tariq has been here for this last hour to make me feel like the world is not headed for the collision course in hell and that the stupid people haven't won. I really appreciate you being here, um, especially with your schedule and knowing the grind of daily television all too well. Uh, I know it's not easy sometimes to get up and do things that, um, you know, are not necessarily required. So I truly value and appreciate your time. And I've said this a thousand times when um, been, when I've been interviewed and asked, like, oh, if you weren't a journalist and if you weren't doing that, what would you do? I'd say I would, if money were no object, I would tour with The Roots. i go to every fucking show yep, and yep. I'd be there all the time. And they were like, we got to get rid of her. We got to file some charges and, you know, get some stalking law. But that's what I would do. I would, If I had one band to go on tour with, it would be The Roots. So one of these days when I hit that Powerball, just know. I'll be at every show. You need a roadie. You need somebody to carry your water. I mean, it feel I'm like there. it feel like you be at every show now. Like, <laughs> I know, right? You know That's the thing. I got a job, and yeah, I still manage right? to no, be at every but it's, show. It's 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 definitely um, an honor. You know, just thank you for all your support over the years. You've introduced the roots, you know, to new audiences time and time again. Like people who rock with you have rocked with us because you rock with us. So, um, you know, the again, it's it's. The, the least I could do is, is come in and chop it up with yeah, you. What what is even better uh, for me? It's not a lot of times. A lot of a lot of times when you meet people who you know you really respect, whose work that you just love and has meant so much in your life. A lot of times those people never in person add up oh, or at yeah. least measure up to what you built them up to be in your mind. Because there's a lot of people. I won't meet or because I'm afraid that that person is not going to be the person yeah. uh, who I've watched on screen or who I listen to or whatever. And I feel you. You know what I'm saying? But I can say, you know, and, and it's genuine and true is that as great of a band as you guys are, you're even better people. Oh, and that's wow. what I appreciate about you. I know I had to make uh, you feel sappy before we ended this. <laughs> so take all that love with you uh, and uh, continue to do your thing. So thanks, Tariq. Thanks so much. Mel Hill is Unbothered is produced by Spotify Studios and Unbothered Inc. and recorded and edited by Rich Burner and Cadence 13. Ashley Van Horn is our head of talent. Evan Dick is our executive producer. Jesse Burton is the executive producer for Spotify. And Denise Holly is the program manager. Our theme music is provided by Corey Greenleaf and Ben Darwish. You can find more from me on Twitter and Instagram at Jamel Hill. 